Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Thanks for coming on out. Got a true and false question for you this morning. Can I get us rolling? Your view of God impacts how you live life. True or false? Your view of God, how you define God, what you think of God, impacts how you live life. True. True. So a lot of times I tell you guys don't answer, but today I was kind of like, I didn't want to tell you the answer, but you know, you felt free to do that. At 9 o'clock, they're all like, true! Whoa, okay, go easy. Yeah, it's true. So, for instance, if you saw God as an angry God, you would probably be afraid of Him, and you probably wouldn't want necessarily have a relationship with Him, because we don't like to have relationships with angry people. We wouldn't want to have a relationship with an angry God. Um, if you thought God was like a a genie, where he's all about your happiness and he was, that you think he should be giving you everything you want and everything you pray for, you get. Uh, you'd find out very quickly that you would be disappointed in that God. And, and when you're disappointed in somebody, you really don't want to be around that person. Uh, if, if you saw that or thought that God was unfair, that he, he just doesn't, doesn't operate on a, you know, if some people are treated better than other people and you saw him as unfair, that you would probably be angry with him and upset with him and bitter towards him and reject him. If you didn't even think there was a God ever, then you would basically think that you're God. In fact, all of these wrong views of God, these sketchy views of God, cause individuals to then respond to God incorrectly, which usually means rejecting God, making themselves God. And the danger in that is we do, when we do that, we're ultimately rejecting a personal God who loves us and wants a relationship with us and has done what was necessary to make that relationship possible. A relationship that allows God to be in our lives today, that will take us to heaven one day, that saves us from an eternity in hell. And so a proper view of God is crucial, and everybody has a view of God. Some people have a right view of God. Some people have a wrong view of God. I think most people maybe have a mixture of right and wrong. Uh, they got some things probably nailed and some other things that are probably not uh, quite right. For instance, 80% of U.S. adults uh, believe that there's a God, and we would say that that's right, um, that there is a God. Uh, we believe it's the God of the Bible. 23% of them, them, though, believe that God is just an impersonal or a, a higher power, a spiritual force. When we would say, according to what Scripture teaches, that would be, that would be wrong. In fact, 33% of adults, <clears throat> those who believe there is a God who's a higher force, and those who don't believe in God just believe in a higher force, uh, you figure it out, 33% of them believe that God is a higher force, a, um, a cosmic force, a spiritual force. This teaching actually is found in Hinduism. It's the basis for Hinduism and Taoism. Uh, it's part of martial arts. It's part of yoga. It's part of Reiki. Uh, it teaches that all of us are part of nature. We're all part of this cosmic force. And if we want to find purpose and peace and health in our lives, we need to connect in, become one with that, to, to align the forces around us to bring that... Uh, to make that real in our lives. In fact, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have this concept as well, is that God is a higher 
force. And there's a couple of their steps, they have 12 steps, and a couple of them, first, uh, second one says, uh, they came to believe that a, a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And so they believe that there's a, this higher power, something greater than them. Step three says, and we would look at this initially and say, well, this is good, right? And made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I mean, we would say that as Christians, we need to give ourselves over to God and we need to have God become part of our lives and actually lead our lives. But the problem is they end with, and they, they actually italicize this. I, I put a line under it, but as we understood him. So they give themselves over to this higher power, to God, as we understood him, as individuals understand him. It's not the God of the Bible, it's, it's as they understand him. It's how they view him, how they define him, or her, or they. Um, I, I've talked to some, uh, some people, and, um, and, and they're uh, working to get out of addictions. They, they, their family is kind of the higher power. It's what they're focused on in order to get out of addictions or their, um, you know, another relationship or, or whatever it is. It could be anything. It's how they define God. See, most, I would say every person, if they're going to be honest with you, everybody understands that there is something going on other than us in our little world. That there's, there's something going on. There's something spiritual. Um, but there's and so they like that, and they can kind of feel that they're a spiritual person. But most, many deny that God is personal, or at least that God is interacting with them. And again, we'll be talking about several of these over the next couple of weeks. But um, that God is a personal God because that causes them that they have to answer to him. If God is personal, that means he's over them, and he's created them, and therefore they have to be... Uh, they have to be accountable to him. And so they can be spiritual um, by saying there's something higher than them, but they can also then keep doing life their way based on the God and how, based on how they define who God is. And if they want to change how they live, they just change the definition of God and who God is or what God is like. But, being, but God being an impersonal God... A God who is not perfect view of God. It's a wrong view of God. And why is that? Well, because the Bible tells us, Bible, by the way, that God gave us to reveal himself, tells us that, first of all, God is personal within his very nature. We'll break that down this morning. So the first thing we're going to look at is that he's, he's personal within his nature. Secondly, he created, created us in such a way that we could know him personally. He created us with personhood, with the ability to be in relationship. And then most importantly, he did what was necessary to reestablish that relationship with us by God the Son coming in, in human form. So let's, uh, we'll let God kind of speak for himself this morning. I'm just going to lay out some things here for you. So the first thing we need to know is that God exists in and of himself. Okay, he is what we call self-existing. Now, this, some of this stuff is going to be kind of be mind-blowing, and I get that. And so just hang in there. Um, it's good that God is mind-blowing because we don't want to be able to understand a God because if we did, then we would be God. And you don't want me being God. That would be a really bad downgrade. So God is self-existing. He exists in and of himself. No one or no thing created God. He has always existed. Before there was 
space, before there was time, before there was any created thing, God is, God was, God has always existed. If you ever want to, you know, kind of mess with your mind a little bit, think about what it was like before God created. It was just God. Like there's no time. It was just God. You know, anyways, um, it kind of blows your mind a little bit. So, so he is the one who created everything, all right? Now, the Bible also tells us that God is unchangeable. So he's, he's always been who he is. There's nothing about him that changes. Uh, his, his character, his uh, attributes, they're all the same. They've always been. And so this is where it's, his personalness comes in is that he's always existed as a trinity. Now, what does that mean? I'll give you a definition. So as you study out Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, what you end up seeing is this concept that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now again, this is from Genesis all the way to Revelation that there's, a, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons coexisting as one God. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. If you look it up, you're not going to find it. But this concept of tri-unity or three-in-oneness is found throughout the Bible. I'm just going to give you a couple verses, or actually one verse, and then uh, another verse about his uh, being one. So we go to Genesis 1.26, right? The first chapter of the Bible, God's creating, 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 creating. And then he says this about creating man and woman. He didn't say this about animals. He didn't say this about plants. He didn't say this about stars. He didn't say this about gases. He didn't say this about planets. He said this about man and woman. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, if, you, if you're into grammar at all, even if you have no clue of what grammar is, you'll notice that that's plural. That God said, let us. What's that mean? Well, he's letting us know right at the beginning there's something very special about this God. And that this God is multiple, in a sense, as, again, as we studied out, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But then it also says this later on in the Old Testament, and again, this is throughout Scripture, that here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And so, three persons in one. Now, this is important, because only a personal God can create persons. Right? So, uh, if, if he's, uh, if it, whatever, is an impersonal force, if it's just a force, that can't produce humans physical humans who have a spirit about them. So God, who is personal, he created the universe and he created us, which means that he's separate from what he's created. He is not creation. He is creator, in other words. So it's not that we somehow align ourselves and get all of our forces aligned with the universe it's that we connect in, in relationship with the God who created us. I'm not aligning myself with some cosmic force, some plants and animals and the stars. And, uh, that's not what God's expecting of us. God wants us to connect with him 
in relationship. And so what he does is that he creates us, as the Bible says, in his image. And so we go back to, to Genesis 126, and he says, then, then God said, let us make man, again, man and woman, in our image, according to our likeness. So he's created us very special. The word image there in Hebrew is salem, and it means to be similar to, likeness, demat in the Hebrew is an example of. And so we are created similar to God, but not identical. We are kind of an example or a representative of who God is. We are the only created thing that is said to have had his image and his likeness. And this is important. And I'm going to step on some toes, and I'm, some of you guys may not like me. Just don't throw the Bible at me, because um, that's not very nice. <clears throat> a plant was created by God, but not in God's image, not in God's likeness. Plants are not God's. God is not a plant. Animals were created by God. Your pet, my pet, created by God. Not in his image, not in his likeness, not with personhood. We are the only... Oh, back up. Angels are not said, are not to have been created in God's image in God's likeness. Only human beings have this special creation from God. We are unique. I know the world wants to say, hey, it's all kind of the same and, and we have the same value as a plant or we have the same value as, a, as an animal, but please don't buy into that. Love your pets, care about your pets, mourn them when they die, but listen, they are not human beings. And you degrade what God has made us to be when we do that. And, and just one, I told the 9 o'clock, and so I need to tell you guys this. I, I am not my, my dog's daddy. And my wife is not our dog's mommy. Because if you call my wife our dog's mommy, you're calling my wife a dog. And I'm serious when I say this. If you say that in my presence... I will give you an earful because my wife is a human being. She's not a dog. We are the owner of that dog. We are who takes care of that dog. And without us, that dog would not survive. Well, no, our neighbors would come over probably, take the dog out. So I, I think I'll, I'll just toss that part out. Somebody would take care of that dog, the Shreks. Somebody would. So we are created similar to God, but not identical to him, and we represent him. So break this down real quick. I'm sorry for all the letters and words up there, but hang in there. So again, similar to God, not identical. We're spiritual. Now, God doesn't have a body. He is spirit. We have a body, but we are similar to him in that we also have a spirit, okay, so that we can have this relationship with God. We have a, we have a, mor uh, a moral part of us, morality. So we have this inner sense of, of right and wrong. God has, knows what's right and wrong, right? He's put in us this sense of what is right and wrong. All right? But we're also means we're accountable to him. 
uh, intellectual. We have the ability to reason and to learn and have emotions and, and there's creativity and we do the things that we do in our world because we have this intellect. God, of course, has great intellect. We're relational. Uh, we can connect with God. We can connect with others. We, we have marriages and families and uh, we, do the, we do the relational type of things and have emotions and all that comes with relationships. Uh, there's a physical aspect. So God sees, hears, and touches. He doesn't have a body, of course, but he sees, hears, and touches. Well, we do the same. We just happen to do that through our bodies. So we see with our eyes, we hear with our ears, feel with our hands, that type of thing. And then we also have this sense of, the Bible calls dominion. We have this care and control of creation. And so as God cares and controls for creation, he's given that authority to us as his special creations to represent God that way and to care um, and control and take care of what God's given to us and ultimately the, the world that he's given to us. So prior to Adam and Eve sinning, because God gave them free will and he said, hey, I want you to serve me and love me based on your own desires, not me forcing you to do it. So they chose, when they had the opportunity, they chose to do life their way. That's how we always say it around here. They chose to be God in that sense. They wanted the, the responsibility um, that God would offer to them, but they wanted it for themselves. But prior to that, however long that was, probably wasn't very long, all of that, the, the spiritual, relational, the moral, all that was perfect. Everything was operating exactly like it should. There was peace. Uh, Adam was fully focused on Eve. Eve was fully focused on Adam. They were both fully focused on God. God would walk with them in the garden, and there's this great relationship going on, and everything was perfect. But then they sinned. And when they sinned, it wasn't that we lost the image of God in us, but the image of God became distorted. Things got went haywire, as it were. So, in the spiritual, sin came in, and God said, if you sin against me, you will die. And he didn't mean just physical death, which he meant that, but also spiritual death. So yes, we ha everybody has a spirit, but those who have not had God free them or give them spiritual life, their spirit is dead. They are disconnected. They are separate from God. Their spirit is dead. Morality. Yes, we have a sense of right and wrong, but oftentimes our sense of right and wrong is what we decide for it to be. When, just think about your last argument that you had with whoever, your spouse, your kids, your parents, whatever. Why did that argument happen? Because you thought you were right, and they thought they were right. I mean, it always goes that way. Uh, intellect. Our intellect has been diminished. Uh, it's also very self-focused. It's forgetful. I mean, just, just think about our intellect, right? It used to be that Adam and Eve, you know, they were on the same level, perfect intellect. But then sin impacts us all. And so some people are smarter than other people. And some people have more common sense than other people. And, you know, just all that higher IQs, lower IQs, all that kind of stuff's happening. Relationally, again, uh, we're all self-focused. And so relationships are formed to meet our needs. And if you're like, oh, that can't be, well, just, let me just ask you this, don't answer it out loud, but what was it that drew you to your spouse if you're married? Or what is it about the opposite sex that might attract you, or in our day, same sex, that might attract you to them? I'll guarantee you, it's what you think of them and what they can do for you. 
Now, I had to admit this in the 9 o'clock, and I'll do it again. I've grown somewhat from this. <laughs> I'm still me, so I fight this from time to time, as we all do. But when I, when I reconnected with Kim, I reconnected with her because I thought to myself, who would be a good wife since I'm going to be a pastor? Because I had dated some other girls, and they're all like, well, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. Because being a pastor's wife is a very special calling from God, if you want to call it that. I mean, the only reason people like me is because of Kim, and I get that. I'm 100% okay with that. But isn't that weird? My thought was, she would make a great wife since I'm going to be a pastor. That's not about Kim. It's about me and what I can benefit. I mean, I also thought she was beautiful, and she had a great personality, and she was really kind to me. I mean, right? Think about it. So anyways, our relationships, they're all skewed now because of that. Uh, physical, you know, I mean, easy. Sickness, disease, death. Care and control. Um, you know, don't ask me to plant something. Kim's pretty good at it, but don't ask me to plant. I'll kill it. I mean, not, not because I'm mean or anything. I just, I don't have the ability to do that. Sin. <laughs> it's in my life. So man destroys creation. He go back or, or elevates it above human needs. We see that today in the environmentals. Yes, we're supposed to care for our world. But the world's never, and nature's never to be higher than man. Why? Because man was created higher than everything else but God. Not that we're gods. We're sinful, despicable people who need God in our lives. But we have a tendency to mess things up when it comes to representing God and being God's representative when it comes to creation. So sin has distorted God's image in us. So much so that even the good things that we do, God sees them as dirty rags. Look what Isaiah says in the Old Testament. He says, for, and, and because of the sin, he was talking about sin earlier in previous verses. So because of our sin, all of us have become like one who is unclean. We are, in God's eyes, as he sees us, we're defiled. We're impure. We're not all clean and beautiful like we think we are. Everyone dresses up, well, it used to be everyone dresses up really nice on sunny ties and all that kind of stuff. Because why? We want to bring our best to God. No, God sees us at our heart level. So in one sense, it doesn't matter what you wear. You know, it matters what your heart is. But anyways, he sees us um, as defiled or impure. All our righteous deeds, all the good things we do, whether it's religiously good things we do, or just being nice to our neighbor or co-worker, are like filthy garments. Now, because we are in mixed company, I'm not going to explain what that means in the Hebrew. You can study it for yourself. I'll just guarantee you, when you go home and you start studying that, go up to gotquestions.com or whatever, or .org, you'll go, ew. I, you will. In fact, videotape yourself and then send it to me, because you'll be going, ew. God sees the good things that we do as filthy rags. So if even our good deeds in God's eyes are filthy. It means we can't use them to get his attention, unless it stinks to him. Uh, we can't use it to win his favor. Then how do we have this relationship? How, do we, how can we know him personally, since he's a personal being? Well, here's the greatest demonstration, next to creation, of how God demonstrates that not only is he personal, but that he wants this personal relationship with us. And the Apostle Paul writes it this way. 
He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, so Jesus Christ, prior to being Jesus Christ, was God the Son, and so he always existed and continues to be God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped in his humanness as Jesus Christ. But he emptied himself. In other words, he gave up his authority to act on his own as God, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so it says that he existed in the form of God. And that means to, to, uh, it's continuous of a previous state. That's what that word means in the Greek. And so he was God from eternity past. And when he put on flesh, he was God. And when he died and rose from the dead, he was God. And when he went back to God, he was God. He's, he's always been God. He's always God, even though he put on flesh. But he emptied himself. It means he gave up his privileges, or his right to operate as God in this sense. As he, and you can read this in the Gospels. As he went through life, he constantly said, I am doing the will of my Father. Now, God the Father is not his Father in the sense that you know, he created God the Son. But for us to kind of understand the relationship aspect here, he called him his Father. The Father sent the Son. The Son voluntarily came, and the Holy Spirit empowered him. And so, as, as a human, from the human perspective, he obeyed everything God said. He was perfect. He fulfilled the entire law, and everything he did was perfect. And he was empowered by God the Holy Spirit which is kind of an example for us and how, how we should be living. That we need to do what God says, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, he gave up being solely spirit and took on flesh. So he's 100% God, he's 100% man. He doesn't give up his deity, he still, or I'm sorry, deity. Some of you guys are going, wait a second, here, you said it wrong, yeah. If you say the word deity, you have to say deity, right? Because it just sounds so much... Try it. Deity. Yes, nice. Way to go, Bob. Nice. Anyways, but he, so he doesn't give that up, but he gives up his authority in that sense. And he does what God the Father tells him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he humbled himself. This means to bow down or to lower oneself. Uh, one writer call, says, self, it's the self-emptied life. He emptied himself of self. It wasn't about what he was doing. It was about what God the Father wanted him to do. And so the ultimate demonstration of this is when he died on the cross. Now again, he's God, and he's a perfect human being. So why does he die? I mean, he's God. He could have just said, don't touch me, and the person would have been dead, right? I mean, he's, he's God. So why does he die on the cross? So Paul tells us this in Titus. Again, it's one of my favorite passages. I'm talking to people about God and God saving and how they need to have a relationship with This is just awesome the way Paul, almost like it was inspired. Yeah. No, I mean, it was inspired, sorry. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, again, talking about God the Son, Jesus Christ, he, God, saved us. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you're wondering, how do I, how do I get saved? How do I get saved from going to hell? How does that happen? It's nothing that you or I do. 
It's what God does. God saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done. Why? Because they're filthy rags. We just read that. Go to the next one. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a big, long, theological, doctrinal phrase, but basically what he's saying is the Holy Spirit comes in and He cleans us out, if you want to put it that way. He kind of wipes out the sin. God forgives us of our sin. And then He, God, the Holy Spirit, gives our spirit, which was dead, a little CPR, gives us spiritual life. Next one. So God, the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, God the Son, our Savior, why did he pour, out on, uh, pour him out on us? So that being justified or declared not guilty of our sins by his grace, as gift, we don't pay for it, we would be made heirs or children of God according to the hope which is not like, oh man, I hope I do it, I hope I get there. No, it's a certainty based on God's promise of this eternal life. And so God saves us. He does that through Jesus Christ, God the Son. It's not based on good deeds. It's not based on religious duty. It's not based on religious rituals or, or traditions. I'm not saying those things are bad, but you don't do those things to get God's favor. He already loves us. He's already sacrificed. He's already done what needs to be done. And so just like God is the one who created life, physical life, and gave each of us a spirit, which is when we're born, you know, we're born with a dead spirit, but we still have a spirit, we can then have our spirit reborn. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. And that all happens when we believe or trust what God says about how that happens. And so when we believe, when we trust, when we put our full weight of trust on God saying, Jesus Christ, who is God, died on the cross for your sin. And if you believe that, then God says, just ask me for forgiveness. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Because Jesus didn't have to die. He was perfect. And when we do that, then God, it says that he's, He justifies us. That's like standing before a judge, having broken the law, and somebody comes in and pays our fine, or, or says, hey, I'm going to go spend two or three years in jail for Harold. And a judge goes, okay, Harold, you're not guilty because so-and-so has taken, paid the fine or taken your spot in jail. Jesus took our spot in that sense. He, he died the eternal death that we should have been experiencing. And he defeated it, of course, when he rose from the dead. And then we're made heirs. I don't say that word right, I know. Heirs, 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 whatever, of eternal life. In other words, we become a child of God. We are his. His children. Now, before I take away, uh, do any takeaways... I just there's a bunch of different ways that God has illustrated this relationship, this personalness with us. Uh, I'm just picking five that I particularly like, uh, and I can do that. If you ever want to teach, then you can come up with your five. But first one is this: protected under His wings. In Psalms, it talks about this. Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 23, it's throughout the kind of Scripture. But he, he protects us under His wings. We're going through a difficult time, and people are coming at us, and we're struggling with life, or whatever. And we just I just need to get away from it all. But he says, hey, get into my word, because it's always associated with the Bible. Get into my, my word, spend time with me, and I'm going to shelter you. I'm going to protect you 
under my wing. It's not saying he's got wings. It's, a, it's poetic, right? He's going to cover us. He's going to protect us. He's going to help us through whatever we're going through. He's shepherds, uh, a shepherd caring for his sheep. He makes sure we have the water we need and the, and the food we need. And he's protecting us from things and people who could hurt us. And, and so he's there. He's watching us. Again, he's not a shepherd and we're not a sheep. It's an illustration of the fact that it's through him that we, we have the spiritual water that we need and the spiritual food that we need, which, by the way, is always associated with God's word. And so we need to be in the Bible and, and receiving that. And he protects us and gives us wisdom to know how to operate and how not to operate and all that good stuff. Apple of his eye. Anybody know what apple of his eye means? Oh, you're going to love this. Apple of the eye. It's a Hebrew idiom, figure of speech, which means little man of the eye. Now you're like, okay, that sounds weird. So let's say I had Caleb come up here. We're not going to do this. I just, okay. So let's say I had Caleb come up here and And I wanted to demonstrate this. How close would Caleb have to get to me to see himself in the pupil of my eye? I don't know, but it's way too close for me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I love Caleb. You know, we give each other hugs when we see each other. You know, we tell each other we love each other. But that's a little bit too close. There's only one person that's going to get that close. It's going to be Kim and, you know... The kisser at that point, but that's besides the point. <laughs> you get that close, you just got to do it. You know what I'm saying? So this is this is so cool. What this means is, those of us who who um, have given our lives to Christ and uh, are following Him and are in relationship with Him, we are we are so, or He is so close to us. I got to say this: or He is so close to us that He can see Himself in our eyes. Now, I don't know where you're at in your life today. I don't know what you're going through in your life today. Just think about that for a while. Go home. Not, not, right, not yet. I mean, go home later and think about that. That's how close God is to you. I mean, God, Holy Spirit's in you, so it's even closer than that. But isn't that an awesome way of talking about how personal he is. Ah, oh, just so good. Anyways, and then the ones we've already talked about, child of God, we're part of the family of God. You know, I'm a, I'm a child of God. It means you guys are my brothers and sisters, those of, you, those of you who have placed your faith in Christ. We're also a member of Jesus' body. I mean, you talk about personal. We're members of his body, part of his church. And again, I'm going to hit it again because this is so important. People are, somebody asked me last week, you know, Harold, you keep talking about the fact that we need to be together as a church family, you need to connect in, and, you know, the Bible says you need to do it, you know, be at least once a week, and serving together, and all that kind of stuff, and are you, like, do you have some people in mind when you, because you keep bringing it up, and I'm like, no, other than I know some people are choosing to stay at home, and they're watching Fremont on their live stream, or some other church on live stream, or they're listening to the podcast during the week, I'm here to tell you people, that's not the body of Christ. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, being, I'm just telling you what God's Word says. God has made us one with Him in a relationship. We have God the Holy Spirit connected with Him. That means we're connected together too. We're the body of Christ. 
And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be with other followers of Jesus Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. It's just that logical. And if I sound like I'm frustrated, when I don't understand things, I get frustrated. You guys don't, but I do. I just get frustrated. I hated math because it just didn't make any sense. Trigonometry, what is that? You're frustrated. And so when I see, I just feel bad for people who aren't getting that because they're missing out on so much. They're missing out on encouragement. They're missing out on the spiritual growth that comes as God has made it inherent in who we are as a church. And so they're missing out. It, It bugs me. It just, because I want more for them and I know God wants more for them. Anyways, so takeaways. So, God's a personal God. And God made us persons, ability to have relationship with Him. And He's done everything necessary. The only thing that could be done to make sure that that relationship is made. And so here, here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've gone to church all your life or not gone to church all your life. I don't care if you think you're a pretty good person or not good person, whatever. Because God's word says that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to challenge you this morning, if that's you, you've never done that, then... Just admit the fact that you're a sinner. We all are. Just admit the fact that you've sinned against God, you've broken His laws, you've done things against other people and done things against Him, and that that's, that's separated you from Him. And then believe, put your full weight of trust on what God says, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And when He rose from the dead, He defeated sin, He defeated death, He defeated hell on your, on your benefit, on your behalf. And then you just confess that. You just tell them, hey, God, listen, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you, but I want that spiritual life. I want you in my life. I ask you to forgive me my sins. And just like those verses read, God's Holy Spirit will come in. It's an instantaneous thing. His Spirit comes in and wipes out that sin. Now you have God the Holy Spirit in your life. Your spirit is alive, and you can have that relationship and grow in that relationship, which is the second thing. For those of us who have done that, then take your next step to know God better. Whatever that is. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years, 60 years. There's, there's something that you can be doing in your life to continue to move that along and to grow in a deeper and more committed relationship to God. And so maybe it's increasing your time in God's Word. Maybe you've been reading the Bible, uh, but now maybe take that step and start studying the Bible. We do the grow class. I forgot to tell the 9 o'clock class. But, or service. But we got a grow class coming up. We teach you how to do that. It's September 23rd, and we'll show you how to do that. And just take that next step. Or maybe it's increase your connection with your church family. In other words, be here. And so some of you might, who are here this morning, may be here, eh, you know, once a month or twice a month. We'll increase that and experience what God has for you by being here. You know, a simple thing to do is attend the men's and women's Bible studies. Thursday night, 7 o'clock, women have one at 7 and one at 10 o'clock in the morning. Be there. We go right into God's Word, we study God's Word, and we pray for each other, we encourage each other. Sometimes we don't even get into the Bible because someone says, hey, i got this going on in my life, and all of a sudden, you know, we're sharing with them our story, what's going on in our lives, how God has met our needs, and it encourages them, and it helps them grow. And so I would challenge you to make that step if that needs to be. Whatever the case, God's a personal God who wants to be in relationship with you and done what was necessary. I just challenge you to either receive that for the first time or if you've received it already, to grow in that. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.